Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. If you can dream it, you can do it. That was said by my guest today, who is none other than the legendary author, Jack Canfield. Now, for those of you that somehow don't know who Jack Canfield is, he is a pioneer and legend in the field of personal development and peak performance. He is the founder and author of the billion dollar Chicken Soup for the Soul publishing empire. He's a multiple times New York Times bestselling author of The Success Principles, The Power of Focus, The Aladdin Factor, Dare to Win, The Key to Living the Law of Attraction, Living the Success Principles, Coaching for Breakthrough breakthrough Success, and so many more. He has over 2.5 million subscribers and followers on social media alone. He's sold well over 500 million books worldwide. How about that for someone who was told that his books would never sell? He's been featured, uh, a featured guest, sorry, on 1,000 plus TV and radio shows. He has trained uh, 2,900 plus Canfield Success Principles trainers in 107 countries. He's founded the Transformational Leadership Council. He's inducted into the National Speakers Association, Speakers Hall of Fame, is a Harvard graduate with a master's degree in psychological education as well. My goodness, uh, I was really, really looking forward to speaking with Jack. And uh, this conversation took place a little while ago, actually, uh, but it still holds its timeless wisdom. And I, I, I wanted to release it for you guys now, especially those here in Sydney and Melbourne that are currently in lockdown and, and are struggling. So I really do hope that this message that Jack sends out to you uh, is one that inspires you, but also encourages you as well during this time. So if you do get something from this conversation, and I have no doubt that you will, please share it around to your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Jack is an amazing speaker and storyteller. So 
yeah, I really, really enjoy this conversation. But don't forget before you go to subscribe and leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. goes a huge way in helping to support the story box. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box today as we listen, learn, and we grow from the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the story of none other than Jack Canfield. My pleasure, Jay. Thanks for inviting me. I have been uh, looking forward to speaking with you for ages. Like I, I'm still in awe that the fact that we're actually here today <laughs> speaking, which is honestly insane for me. Um, I, I, I want to start off. I know that you've probably been asked this question a million times over. You've written two books about it. Uh, you, you are very well versed with this particular question, but I normally ask it to all my guests at the very start, which is, Mr. Canfield, what does success look like for you? Well, I'll talk about my definition of it and then talk about what it looks like in my life. But I used to think success meant that you would, you know, achieve fame, you would make a difference, you would make money, you know, whatever it was. Then I turned it to being able to create whatever result you want, whatever that might be, you know. And then for the last 10 years, I've been saying success is fulfilling your soul's purpose. Mm -hmm. So whatever purpose you have in life, and I believe everyone is born with a purpose. You know, mine is to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. So basically, the chicken soup for the soul books were inspirational stories, books like the success principles, the Aladdin factor, things like that. The seminars I do, the train and training program is, is empowering people to actually apply those principles of success that they're inspired to then live out. And, you know, everyone's purpose is different. Just like you have eyeball cells, you have shoulder cells, you have bone cells and, you know, hair cells. They're all different but they all make up you. And my point of view is everybody makes up a part of humanity. And if every cell is doing what it's supposed to do, every person who loves to bake is baking goods. Every person who loves to do podcasts is doing podcasts. Everybody who likes to fix airplanes is fixing them. People who like to drill for opals or drilling for opals, you know, whatever. Then what happens is everything that needs to happen gets done. You know, the musicians make music, the teachers teach, the, you know, the, the people that want to govern, govern, etc. The problem is a lot of us are not living our purpose. And so the reality is like cancer cells, when they're doing what they're not supposed to do, you know, we get sick. And so a lot of us have been conditioned by our parents, by culture. You know, I had a cousin, I had a very wealthy uncle. And he was a direct descendant of very famous people in the United States. And he wanted to be an actor. Well, in that family, being an actor was like being a prostitute. It was like, oh, actors are meant to entertain the wealthy. You're not supposed to be one, you know. And uh, so he got talked out of it for a number of years. Finally, he rebelled against his father and became an actor and was very happy. But so many people become what they think they should or what will make more money. They don't really fulfill the thing that brings them the greatest joy. Mm -hmm. So for me... I believe we all have a purpose. It's inborn. We're born with certain uh, talents. We have to develop them and build skills and so forth. But, you know, I've got three kids are all into music. And then I've got a stepson who's all into business, <laughs> you know, and it's just like you can't make them the others. And so they have to make music. They have to drum. The other one has to like figure out how to make money. And when he was in seventh grade, he was like buying scooters for less money and selling them for more in, in middle school, you know, mm -hmm. and now he went to work in business school. He's working in an investment company. So I think that 
the reality is if you can get in touch with your purpose and you can fulfill that, then you're successful. And for some people, it might be living out in a cabin somewhere, writing poetry. But if you're happy, because I believe joy is your feedback system. It tells you you're on course. And if you're, if you're that, then you have lived a successful life. I love that. When was the moment for you, though, Jack, that you realized your own purpose? Was it like this catalyst moment for you or was it like this gradual thing that you sort of realized over time? I think I was living my purpose kind of unconsciously. Mm. Like, you know, I'm a teacher and I was like, in a, when I was a Boy Scout, I ended up being the troop leader and teaching people how to tie knots and build campfires. And, you know, when I, I went to a military school for eight years, I had a very wealthy aunt uh, who sent me to school. I would have not been able to do that. My dad didn't make a lot of money. We, were, we weren't poverty, but we were very low, low, low middle class. And um, I ended up being captain of the company that trained all the freshmen coming in how to do right face and forward march and right shoulder arms and all that. And uh, I was told by the commandant of the school, you know, you're the best teacher we have. Then I got to college and I was the vice president of my fraternity. I would have been the president, but I grew a beard and they didn't want anyone with a beard to be president of the fraternity. Um, and then I taught high school and then I taught teachers and and I kind of always was doing that, but I really got in touch with it one day when someone took me through an exercise, uh, you know, like it was a life purpose exercise. I still teach it in my workshops. And I went, oh, now I can kind of articulate it in a way I wasn't able to articulate it before. And I realized that my teaching was partly inspirational, which is why all the kids love me, but also teaching and practical tools and skills. I I cut my teeth in a inner city, all black high school in Chicago. And I quickly learned my students weren't motivated. They didn't believe in themselves. So I became more interested in self-esteem and motivation than I was in teaching history. And I met a man named W. Clement Stone, who was a friend of Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich. In fact, the two of them wrote a book together. And uh, he taught me all about setting goals and taking af action, affirmations, visualization. We didn't call it the law of attraction back then. It was called the power of positive thinking. Yep. And so I learned all that and started applying it in my classroom and it was working. And that's when they asked me to start teaching the other teachers. It got to the point that if one of my students was suspended for some reason, they would sneak into school, come to my class, sneak out of school again, just so they wouldn't miss my class. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So you've taught a lot of people over the years, Jack. You've, you know really what makes a good teacher, I, I would assume. Now, what I'm curious about is compared to those teachers that what do you believe is the difference between a good teacher compared to a great teacher? Someone that, for, for example, for you, you had people that got suspended and they were coming back into class. Now, there's something about that that is not really normal or it should be normal, but I'm curious, right. what, what's your look? I think... I think number one, I loved my students. You know, I remember once there was a, they asked this coach why he was such a good football coach. He'd won like, you know, 90% of the games they ever coached in college. And he said, I love my, I love my players and I love the game. So I loved my students and I loved what I was teaching them. I ended up buying these uh, African-American history little paperback books because no one was teaching them about their heritage, you know, It'd be like being a First Nation in Canada or American Indian that we call, uh, you know, um, the kind of forgot what we call them, the, um, Native Americans. Thank you very much. You have the Aboriginals in, in Australia and so forth. 
And if you're not taught your history, if no one's talking about your culture, you feel like you don't exist. And if you don't see yourself for, for a while, the only time black people ever saw themselves in a movie, they were either a slave or a criminal, you know? And so like, you don't realize you can be a CEO of a company. Now we have a vice president in America who's half Indian, half American, uh, African-American. So the reality is for me, I love them. I wanted them to succeed. I cared about them. It wasn't a job. It was something I, at night I would think about them. I would, figure out how do I coach them individually? What do they need? Some people need to be kicked in the butt. Some people need to be loved up. You know, it depends on what, what they're doing. And, and then I think also I spent time with them, you know, after school, I would hang out with them. I coached the swimming team. I coached the, uh, what's called the African-American club. I would encourage kids to try out for the talent show. You know, I was constantly wanting them to fulfill their potential. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever walked into a classroom where the teacher is drinking a cup of coffee, reading the newspaper, they're not paying attention. You know, it's like, oh, now I got to stand up and teach. Yeah. You know, I was at the door high-fiving everybody, you know, uh, just, you know, welcome to the class, giving kids hugs, you know, things like that. And so I think they really got that I cared. So that's the first thing. I think you have to be passionate about what you're teaching. You know, I am passionate about personal development. I am passionate about success, goal setting, making a difference, feeling your feelings, having, you know, caring about the world, you know, environmental sustainability, social justice. I, I just want things to work. I, I often say, I want to help create a world that works for everybody because what happens too often, it works for the top 5%, but it doesn't work for the people at the bottom. You know, in India, it's the people in the caste, lower caste. And it's always the, you know, in China now, it's the people that are the Renge. You know, in Myanmar, you're having this slaughter of people all over the place. Um, and so, you know, and even in Australia, you know, you have immigrants coming in because of all the the, the migrations that are occurring because of, a, you know, a, social, not social, uh, the environmental degradation that's happening. And then people don't feel like they belong. And then all of a sudden you're looking down on people, racism, sexism. And I've always just felt that everybody should be treated with respect and equality. And I think that's what everyone wants. So when they experience that, they feel validated. Yeah. I feel the same way. And what I'm curious about for you, Jack, is the love that you had for teaching where did that actually come from? Was it how you were raised as, as, a, as a young kid, like this desire to want to help young kids, to want to teach them and, and help them succeed, really? Where did that come from? I, you know, this is probably going to sound a little woo-woo to some people, but I am a believer in past lives. I have direct re recall of several. Um, you know, through past life regression therapy sessions I've participated in. I've been a Tibetan monk, you know, so obviously there's something, you know, you want the world to work in the compassion of the, of the Buddhist monks. I've had a couple lives as doctors. So I was into healing people. I had a life as a low level village person, but I was in the government in China, but I was working on making things better. Um, and I've had a life as a American Indian shaman you know, again, spiritual and, and, and healing. And I don't know. I just always like to teach. If I, if I could learn something, I always like to show other people how to do it. If I learn a magic trick, I'm, I would never, I'm no good at it because I always want to show people how it was done and teach them how to do it. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I was teaching people to play the guitar when I was learning the guitar and it's just 
born into me, I guess, just the way someone else can't, like my brother's a drummer. This has to do this. He was doing that like at the dinner table when he was five and my dad was going, would you stop that? You know? And so he just, it was in him, you know, it was born in him. So I just think that was part of it, but it's always been a desire to, to, to make a difference and teaching comes natural to me. Mm. Yeah. So having, this is fascinating for me. You believe in past lives and you got a present life right now. I'm curious, what do you want your future life to be? I don't have a, an idea about that yet. I'll tell you what I know from the research on this. There's been a lot of research about uh, some guy wrote a book called um, life. Bef- well, Raymond Moody wrote a book called life after their life, you know, and then uh, the idea what happens when you die. And the idea is you don't, you, you know, you keep going on as a consciousness, you know, Christians believe you go to heaven, hell or purgatory. Buddhists believe you come back again, you know, so forth. Uh, but we all believe there's some consciousness that continues to live. There was a woman named Helen Wambach who hypnotized 2,000 people in groups, you know, and then had them and took them back to before they were born because you can hypnotically age regress people. And everyone had a memory of being in that space before they were born. So fascinating. And she had them all fill out questionnaires. And in that space between lives, they all said that they had a, 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 a what you call a panel of advisors uh, that would advise them what they needed to learn in the next lifetime or what they needed to do karmically in the next lifetime. So they would be given a task, if you will, uh, maybe to learn compassion because the last lifetime they were greedy and, you know, didn't hurt people. So I think that if you think of life as a constant process of evolution and that we're evolving our consciousness and we have guides that can support us in doing that and that they show up consciously you get to see them and talk to them in between lives. It's more like it's, you imagine them, you know, in, in, in this life, uh, we can talk to them and hear inner voices and all that kind of stuff. But I think they work with you to say, okay, in this lifetime, this would be the best thing you could do. Last time you were wealthy, this time you're going to be a poor kid in Egypt and live in the desert, you know, because you need to learn humility or survival or, you know, that you can get by without stuff or whatever it might be. So when I think about the next lifetime, who knows, uh, I believe, given what I understand about my evolution, I'll probably come back as a person of, of wanting to make a difference and change and grow and you know, help people. There's a concept in Buddhism called bodhisattvas. And the bodhisattvas, the idea is that the only they don't have to reincarnate. They've learned all their lessons, but they choose to do it because they want to serve. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, assuming I reach that level of consciousness, I imagine I would make that choice as well. Do you fear death at all? I don't. I, I did as a kid. I mean, I think, you know, we all kind of do. You know, no one wants to, like, disappear, um, especially when you have a lot of things you want to experience. <laughs> and when life gets really good, like it is for me, the last thing I want to do is, like, stop having fun, uh, which I am. But, no, I, I I love the way one of my friends calls it. He says, like, walking through a door from one room in your house to another room and this room, you don't have a body, you know? And so I believe that I will go on. I've talked to numerous people who've had near death experiences. They were pronounced dead. Uh, They basically were brought back to life, maybe half hour later, weeks later, because they were in a coma, whatever. Some people flatlined and then, you know, they did the paddles and, but they all have a memory of rising over their body, looking down, 
They see everyone running around. They don't feel any, like, come up here. Everything's fine. You know, and then they get through this tunnel. At the end of a tunnel, there's a being of light, Jesus for Christians, Buddha for Buddhists, Muhammad for Muslims, angels or just beings of light for people that don't have any particular religious experience. So I've talked to enough people and read enough books that I believe that's just the way it is. And my meditations tell me the same thing. I have done a couple of plant medicine journeys with ayahuasca and I had that same experience of like just having a pure moment of just bliss of beingness. Of, of, and I got that's who I am. I'm pure awareness. And so, uh, no, I don't fear death. I'm not I'm not eagerly wanting to have it happen anytime soon, but I'm not the least bit afraid of it. Do you have any fears at all that you're still trying to work on? Yeah, I sometimes have fears that I won't perform as well as I need to. You know, if I'm doing a new workshop that I haven't done before, or I'm speaking to like the first time I did a workshop for a police department, you know, it was like, okay, these guys are all macho. I, <laughs> I went to military school. I played football and rugby and I broke my nose and I, I can do that but I'm kind of Mr. Love and Light right now, you know? So I wanted to make sure that, you know, how are they gonna receive me? So it's more a concern than a fear. Um, I certainly, if I was walking in the woods and I heard growling, I'd probably be afraid of a bear, um, you know, things like that. Uh, I, I remember seeing some rattlesnakes. We have a, a rattlesnake canyon, we call it, and it's hikes, we hike there. And I've seen rattles, they're doing this thing and like, okay, we're going to back up slowly, you know? And so, uh, you know, it wasn't like, like, like panicking fear or phobic fear, but, uh, you know, definitely was like a healthy fear, if you will. Yeah. Do you believe that fear comes from ultimately doing new things? Because when we do it for the first time, there's obviously that the hesitation to actually go and do it. And then, when we actually do something and we become familiar with it, there isn't really fear associated to it anymore. Right. It becomes normal. So I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, to me, fear, and you've probably seen this a million times, fantasized experiences appearing real, you know, all fear, I won't say all fear, most fear, 90% of fear is a result of imagining something in the future that's catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Even if there was a snake in your room, slithering toward you right now, you would have to go into the future and imagine it biting you or a boa constrictor, you know, squeezing you to death in order for you to feel fear. Because mm. right now you're, you're fine. The snake's six feet away, it's coming toward you. But the fear would be your image that you're gonna die or get poisoned or whatever, you know? So fear of death is fear that something bad's gonna happen. You know, you won't exist anymore. Or you're gonna go to hell, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. So. If you're in the present moment, there's no fear because in the present, you're, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, if you go into the future and you imagine good things happening. So when I give a speech, I always imagine getting a standing ovation. So I'm going to walk out and have a great time. People are going to stand up now. You know, I'm, I'm, I just don't get scared about that anymore. I've done it enough times. And I say self-confidence is the result of surviving a risk. So if you jump out of an airplane and you do that and you survive and it's a trip if you do it, you know, it's exhilarating. So then you go, oh, that was cool. Let's do it again. You know, if you go to Magic Mountain and you do the big ride or, you know, whatever, um, after a while, it's exciting. So, 
the idea is that the more things you survive, then the less fear you have. So asking someone out for your first date, I was certainly afraid of rejection in high school. You know, I hesitated for a while before I asked Susie out, you know, uh, but when she said yes, and then Judy said yes, and then the other Judy said yes, hey, I can do this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the only fear was she's going to say no, or I'm going to walk across the dance floor. I'm going to ask that girl to dance. She's going to say no. And I have to walk all the way back in front of everyone, you know, saying, oh, you got rejected, you know. Mm. So it's it, it. I think fear is self-created. Now, there's two natural fears, fear of loud noises. So if a bomb goes off next to you or a car crash, you will jolt. And fear of falling backwards, little babies, you'll see they'll have a a fear response. Those are the only two natural fears. The rest are learned. You're about to pick up a snake in the backyard. It's a harmless garter snake and your mother screams, don't do it. You know, and all that adrenaline goes off and that gets associated with the, with the snake. And next time you see a snake, it's like, don't do it. And your body gets all freaked out, you know? So that's how that works. Cause the reason why I asked that was ultimately speaking about purpose and doing something that we've always wanted to do and really, um, really understanding who we are as a human being, we've got to, once again, come to the present moment and remove all the what ifs in our life, because that is going to diminish our ability to see who we really are, because it stops us from doing the things that we ultimately want to do. We know it's there, but I think fear stops a lot of young people, especially from taking that step forward because they're afraid of, you know, what if this happens? What if, it's going to be bad for me to do that. And I know this to be true for me because that's what happened. That's all the thoughts that went on in my mind. And I sort of like kept telling myself, oh, no, I don't believe in the what ifs, you know, but I kept, I kept doing it anyway. Like I I kept having those, those thoughts roaming. And it's, it's interesting when we're speaking about purpose, I love saying to people, We've got to distinct, we've got to learn to distinguish between I am versus I do. Yes. Who you are right now is a purpose. And I, I love how you said we're all born, born with a purpose. I love that because I say the same thing. We're all born with one. We're created with one. We're designed with one. If you want to believe with that, because right now you're a human being, your character, you're different from a person. Like I'm different from you, Jack. Yes. That's, that's important. We get to take, who we are into what we do. We, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I've been working a lot lately with focusing on who do you need to be, not what do you need to do? You know, like what, what, what are the qualities of beingness, you know, courage and perseverance and compassion and love and joy, appreciation and all those things. And those are qualities that don't require you to do anything really. I mean, but when you're in that state of beingness, then you would just do the things that, that flow out of that. You know, most people, you know, you've heard it before, but most people think if I can do the right thing, I'll have the stuff I want and then I'll be happy. The truth is if I be happy and do the things happy people do, I'll have everything I ever want and need. So we approach it backwards and who you are already is all that. In other words, you were born, um, with all those qualities in you. That's how you can recognize them. That's why we cry in a movie when Rocky gets, you know, yo, Adrian, I did it, you know, <laughs> because, because that exists in us, you know, and when someone does something heroic, you know, we have these, um, these, these um, cells in our 
brain that basically that, that fire off because they're in us, you know? And so there's nothing anyone's ever done that we can't do or anything they've ever been that we can't be. I tell a story in the first chicken soup for the soul book about this golden Buddha in Thailand. And I was in Thailand doing a workshop and my wife was with me. And then we spent a day being tourists. And if you go to Bangkok, Thailand, you're a tourist, you're going to visit three Buddhist temples. It's part of the tour. One's the reclining Buddha, which is about as long as a football field. It's all covered with gold uh, leaf. It's amazing. Another one is the Jade Buddha, which is this huge piece of jade. that's unbelievably big carved. But the most amazing one was this golden Buddha. It's about 10 and a half feet tall. It's solid gold. And it's probably worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars if you just melted it down for earrings. And so what happens is, is I'm taking a picture of it and I go over later by the wall, there's a big piece of clay. And it said that in 1954, they did not know there was a golden Buddha. They thought they had this big clay Buddha and they had to move it for road expansion. And as they lifted it up, it cracked. Mm-hmm. And so they brought it back down and they looked inside where the crack was and they saw this gold basically. So they cracked all the, the clay off. And they think that in about 300 years earlier, the uh, Burmese were attacking Thailand and the monks covered up their golden Buddha with clay to protect it so it wouldn't get stolen and melted down. They also think all the monks got killed so nobody knew the golden Buddha was there anymore. 300 years later, they find it, you know. So I, I say that we're all like the golden Buddha. You know, we have everything in us that's magnificent, but it's covered up with the clay of our beliefs, our, our conditions, our um, fears, you know, all the stuff that's the, the persona we put on in order to protect ourselves. You know, I got to be cool or I have to, you know, say yes when I don't want to, you know, all the kind of stuff. I have to be sexy. I don't feel like it, you know, whatever it might be. The reality is when you get rid of all that, who you are is plenty, mm-hmm. but we're all, we, we're walking around. Like I often say, we're a diamond. We're covered over with a layer of manure, which is all these basic ideas and beliefs and thoughts. And then we cover up that with nail polish because who wants to go around looking like a ball of manure, right? So, so basically, I don't want to let go of my persona because you'll see the shit inside, right? Mm-hmm. But underneath that's who I really am. And that's why being vulnerable, authentic, and, and doing all the work we do in all the workshops and meditation and retreats to release and let go of all the ways that we're basically hiding ourselves and not being truly who we are, honoring what we want, honoring who we are, asking for what we want, saying no, all the things we have to do to be truly. And unfortunately for most people, it takes a lifetime to get there. And that's why when you get most 65 year old people, they start to go, I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to wear what I want, do what I want, say what I want, you know, but the, the value today, because of people like yourself and all the people online and the Ted talks and you know podcasts, people are learning. We can do that in our twenties and thirties. We don't have to wait until we're, you know, 60 or 70 to let go of all the conditioning. hundred percent because I'm only 24 Jack. So I'm still yeah. extremely young and yeah. I, because of all the things that I've been through in my life, I ultimately thought that my purpose and my belief was, okay, one day I'm going to be a filmmaker. One day I'm going to be the next Spielberg and make all these great movies with fantastic stories in them to change the world. And life didn't really work out the way I wanted it to or I thought it would. And then when everything came crashing down, I came crashing down. And it was only till recently that I had that light bulb epiphany if you want to use that of okay what is it that i really want who am i 
really. And that's when I went even deeper into the root, went deep into the heart, into the soul. Okay, who is Jay Phantom? Who is he really? What does he really want to do? And I started asking myself those really difficult questions in a serious note, not like the surface level, or I'm just going to ask this for the sake of asking it. I'm really going to do the work behind it. I'm really going to find those beliefs and solidify them, not walk around with this nail polish like you say. I'm going to walk around. If there's manure there, I'm going to show it. I'm going to let people see it because that's part of being a human being. And if no one likes it, that's on them, not on me. And I'm going to, because that's ultimately part of me living my authentic self. Not everyone is going to like your authentic self. Like right. some hard truths there. Um, but I think it's like going back to the, the fear side of things. It's not being afraid of what other people think. Other people just have their own issues and they need to sort out for themselves. Right. And we're not trying to force this on anyone at all. It's really, we're saying you have that potential. I mean, Jack, you've been teaching this for years. And that's one of the reasons why I love your work is because it, it has a, a heavy and a powerful message behind it that when you actually use it in your life, it works. <laughs> yes, I know. It really does. And it's like, you got to start asking yourself those tough questions. And I love your success principle number 17, which is ask, ask, ask. And because my grandfather, he used to say to me all the time, he's like, Jay, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Uh, Gandhi said that too. He said, if you don't ASK, you don't GET. He asked the British to leave. Took them a while to get them out of there, but they, they, went, they left, you know? And so... Yeah, that was a big one for me. That's why I wrote the Aladdin factor because I I was very into afraid of being rejected for a long time growing up. You know, I was your age, and um, when I finally realized that a no is simply a no, doesn't mean I'm a bad person, doesn't mean I'm in I'm not worthy of love or worthy of getting what I want. That no is just a step toward yes. That the more people I ask, the law of probabilities comes into more likely to get a yes. The no is a step to a yes. When people say no, I say next. You know, a lot of ways you can play with that. But the reality was I had to write that book in order to learn that lesson. You know, it was, I mean, John D. Martini, you probably know who he is. He's an Australian. Yep. And he um, says that you can, you can pretty much tell whatever issues people had to work on in their life by whatever books they wrote because they were really writing them for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, asking now I'm, I'm willing to ask for anything. And, and, you know, if you say no, so what? And I've learned a lot. I'll share this with your listeners. One of the things that made chicken soup for the soul happen, you probably heard the story that chicken soup for the soul was rejected by 144 publishers. And the question often comes up is, well, what kept you asking? Why did you, why didn't you give up after 70? And um, the answer is because I just knew I had to do it just like, you know, my brother had to drum. I had to get this book out there. It was a, maybe called a divine obsession. And someone taught me a, a question to ask, and it was really valuable. He said, when people say no, ask the question, what would have to happen for you to say yes? Mm. And that's such a great question because they would say, well, you'd have to give me more information. I'd need more time to talk to my board. Uh, I'd have to know I could sell 20, what the publisher said who actually published the book. He said, I'd have to know we could sell 20,000 copies. 
So what, what Mark and I did, my co-author Mark, we, every talk we gave for the next, I don't know, four or five months, we put a sheet of paper on every chair that said, I put their name. I promised to buy blank number of copies of Chicken Soup for the Soul when it's published in their name. Uh-huh. Now, today we'd have them put their email address. It was before that. So what happens is when we had 20,000 promises to buy, we took that banker's box full of those to the publisher and said, here. And he went, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because if I hadn't asked that question, I, that would never have happened more than likely. So it's, um, and then the last thing I would say, sometimes I think the universe is testing us. How committed are you? You know, if everything was easy in life, we'd all be thin, healthy, and happy, right? But it's not, you know, it's, yeah. it's not easy to give up things you shouldn't eat. It's not easy to get up in the morning and exercise when it's raining out, you know, if you're going to go for a run. It's not easy to, you know, pass up the next um, episode of The Mandalorian when you'd rather, you know, when you should be writing your book, you know, whatever it is. So that's, it, it requires effort, not struggle. I don't, I think struggle is optional, but I think effort's required, you know. I think uh, ultimately I believe that God has some sick sense of humor sometimes with us. Like, yeah. He's trying to get us to, if you believe in God, that is, he's trying to get us to like understand where we are at right now is ultimately where we need to be, even though yeah. we don't want to be there in the first place. Right. And it, it's ultimately, there's always lessons to be to be found. And that's the beauty of life. Totally. Because if we stop learning, we cease to exist. Exactly. And if we stop asking yeah. questions, yeah, go for, go for it, Jack. No, and I always tell people, and again, this is not new, but I always say, you know, the life is happening for you, not to you. Mm. In other words, when you're experiencing something that seems hard, you know, it's it's happening for you. I'll give you an example. I had a coaching client a few days ago. He's an art dealer and he's extremely good and doing very well at it. And he has a 10-year-old daughter and they're, he's divorced from his wife. So he gets his kid on the weekends and uh, they were out shopping and they were having a good time. And then... Uh, he, she wanted to get takeout and he said, no, let's go home and cook. And he went into the grocery store while he, he was in there. The girl calls her mother and says, dad's being mean to me. You know, he wouldn't blah, 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 which is the last thing he wants because, you know, when you got shared custody, you don't want your wife to go, you know, this guy shouldn't have any custody at all. And so all the spears came up. He got really angry at his daughter. He withdrew, you know, and, and like, why is this happening to me? You know? And what happened was he then took his daughter over to his mother's house and his mother helped him see that he needed to help the daughter feel safe, that she didn't feel safe with him because he gets angry at her. Mm -hmm. And so he admitted that he was afraid that he would lose custody of her. They both cried. And now they have a much more intimate relationship with him being willing to share his real feelings instead of being the tough dad which is exactly what this young girl needed and wanted. So while that was happening, it was happening for him, not to him. And he grew from that. And so whatever's going on, whether it's a divorce, you lose your job, you you have a car accident, you know, COVID-19 happens, you know, we're sequestered for a year. I can't tell you how much growth I've had, both as a person and in our company, that we wouldn't have had, had COVID not come around and made the, you know, everything we do right now is online. And we, we thought about doing more online, but, you know, we'll get to that. And now we'll have a training and we'll have like people from 47 countries that never would have flown to LA for a live training. 
And so we're reaching more people. We're having more impact. And the other thing is I've been home for 13 months. I've not been home for 13 months in 25 years of marriage, you know? And so my <laughs> wife is like ecstatic, right? So, and I've learned a lot about her and her needs and what she wants and how she didn't like it so much when I was on the road and just, you know, and we've also become ping pong aficionados. We've really gotten good at it. So I'm healthier. <laughs> we play, we play really athletic ping pong. So it's fun. So Jack, speaking about your wife, if you don't mind me asking, how, how did you meet her? It's an interesting story because we were both married when we met. So this yeah. was 20, probably 25 years ago. And I was at in a marriage that had been 20 years. And uh, the last four or five years, the way I described it, have you ever seen these movies? They start out in black and white. And then when the epiphany happens, it turns to color. Yeah. My marriage had gone from color to black and white. You know, it was like <laughs> every time I came home, it was like I'm entering this, this, this negative uh, doll, got a walking on eggshells kind of reality. And it, it just was over. And we both kind of acknowledged it, but we weren't doing anything about it. And then I met Inga, my current wife, and uh, I fell in love. And, you know, she was married and very unhappy with her husband. There's a whole bunch of stuff I won't go into about that. And I was unhappy. She was my physical th uh, trainer. In other words, I started, we hired her to be a trainer. So she would come to my house uh, every morning and work my myself out in the gym. I have a home gym. And then on Saturday, she would come work out and then give me a massage afterwards. And so I was over in Australia. No, I was in Hawaii. And I was meeting with this woman, John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, mm -hmm. uh, said, you got to go see the shaman. So I go see the shaman. And she said, your, your karma with your wife is over. And I said, what? What do you mean? She said, in three lifetimes, you promised her a son. In one lifetime, you went off to war, you died. No son. Second lifetime, you were impotent or, you know, you, your, your sperm didn't work. And so no son. I forget what the third one was, but this lifetime you have given her a son. I have a son. So I said, you really fulfilled your karmic destiny with her. And so that kind of gave me some permission, if you will, to say, okay, I, cause it was hard for me to like just end the marriage. And part of it was my image. You know, you're a success teacher. You can't even make your marriage work. You know, so that was in there a little bit. Um, and also my ex-wife and I were running couples workshops, teaching people how to have these great relationships. So it was like, that doesn't, that's not good for the brand. Right. Um, but anyway, that's how we met. And I didn't like her at first, my, my, my current wife, and she was, you know what a plank is, right? You do a plank and she'd always have her hand under my stomach going, you know, another minute, you can do it get harder. And in my life, I'm thinking F you, you know, it's like, <laughs> I didn't like her. I didn't like her haircut. There was a whole bunch of stuff about it, but I broke my knee skiing. And, uh, and, and, and what happened was I came home and I couldn't work out anymore, but we'd go on these walks on my crutches and we'd talk and we never really talked much before. And so, um, as we talked, we realized we were both unhappy in our marriages. And then we kind of said, well, no, we got kids. We shouldn't do this. And then eventually we just went, no, this is destined. And when the shaman said it's over, that was kind of the cosmic permission, I guess, that I needed to take the step. So we've been happily married for over 20 years now. Wow. <laughs> that is an incredible story. <laughs> yeah. um, Jack, I do want to be mindful of your time. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, two quick final questions, if that's okay sure. with you. 
Absolutely. So if you were to ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would you ask why and what question would you ask them? You know, I'm going to go back to what we talked about earlier, Jay, about uh, uh, being this rather than doing this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what question I would ask, but I'd want to meet Buddha and I want to meet Jesus. It's like, you know, these are supposedly two of the highest people that have ever lived in consciousness. So it's more like I'd like to be in their field of energy. I'd like to see who they really were. We read about them. We hear all this high stuff. And and like I would have liked I would like to be in the presence of these two beings and just, you know, whatever would come up. I don't know what I would ask, but, you know, probably like, you know, how can I be more like you or, you know, Whenever I meet a psychic or I meet someone who's a you know high energy, I always say uh, the question I always ask is, what do I need to do to take the next step in my own personal evolution? So, given that both of those people were pretty high, I'd probably ask that question because I can't imagine who would give you better answers. Mm. I can't either, to be honest with you. I think that'd be a, an awesome thing to actually experience. Yeah. Jesus and Buddha in the same room, <laughs> like <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just sit back and absorb this. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I get a ticket, I'll let you know. You can yeah. come along. <laughs> <Please> <laughs> I love that. Um, Jack, this is my, my all time favorite question that I ask everyone at the end, but it's a hypothetical one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your mm -hmm. friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Well, I want that film to say pretty much what we talked about in the beginning, which is here's a man who dedicated his life to uplifting the consciousness of the planet, to serving others, to helping them discover who they really are, and fulfill their potential uh, in the way that be of, being of service to the world by being who they truly are, and that he reached millions of people in the process. Uh, my breakthrough goal at the moment is to have one, one million people teaching the success principles. I have people in 117 countries right now teaching this work. Uh, we're at about 4,000 people, and we're now starting to train trainers to be trainers of trainers to do this. And so that's my ultimate legacy move is wanting that to happen. So I'd want to have all those people at my birthday party celebrating that. And, um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll say one other thing that just comes to mind. I have a gay son. And um, when I, when I reached my 70th birthday, I'm 76, he was there. And we were going around everyone saying, you know, something that they loved about me, you know, that kind of thing. And he said, Dad, you never tried to make me anything I wasn't. You always loved me and accepted me the way I was. And so I think that's one of the things I pride myself in, that I acknowledge people and support them in whoever they are and whatever they want to bring forward to the planet, whether they're an artist, a scientist, whatever. So that would be the three things I think that would be most important for me to have people acknowledge and show in my my movie that'd be a long movie but uh <laughs> i don't care i'd still watch it i'd sit there probably take me another 100 years to watch but it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, i i fully plan to live to be 105 that's my goal so um doing yeah. everything to make that happen that's what a wonderful legacy to leave behind that 
you've touched my you've touched my life all the way over here in Sydney, Australia. I love your message. Love just learning and hearing about everything that you've done oh. in the world. Your stories are incredible. What Thank do you, you where can people find you, Jack? Where can people connect with you, learn more about you? And what are you excited about coming up next? Well, you can go to my website, jackcanfield.com. So just J-A-C-K-C-A-N-F-I-E-L-D.com. Everything we do is there. Just get on the mailing list. And we do, I do a lot of um, free things throughout the course of the year. I just did a call a couple of weeks ago where I had 2,000 people on the call and I led everyone through a major uh, going back into your childhood and removing a limiting belief exercise. It's about a 30 minute process. I do that a couple of times a year just as a public service. Um, we're doing a live, you know, live online training. You probably heard of Tony Robbins did a workshop with 40,000 people. Uh, the group that does all the technology behind that's called Sage. We're working with them. We're going to be doing a workshop like that, uh, April 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Uh, so people can find about that on our website. If you want to become one of our trainers, uh, we have an online train the training program. We have a live training training program once COVID is over. Uh, so you can learn about that. And we have lots of kind of click to buy online courses that are a lot shorter, but to teach the success principles. And there's a free download. If you go there, it's uh, called the, uh, the 10 day success challenge where every day you get a short little three minute video about one of the success principles. And then I challenge you to an activity for the day. So you actually Velcro it into the system. So it's not just mental. I always tell people, I don't want you to have shelf esteem. You read a book and all the books are on the shelf, but you're not doing it. So we, we have you do that. So that's a free uh, gift for coming over there and you can apply those principles. And I'll say this, uh, one guy got it one year and he did, he did three of them, didn't do it. Got it the next year, did about four of them, didn't do it. Then he was sick in the hospital. He went through all 10 lessons and he made a million dollars that year. And he claims it was all because of the 10, the 10 lessons. So uh, he, he actually wrote a story called uh, 10, the 10, 10 steps that made me a millionaire. I love it. <laughs> so I'll make sure that is all in the show notes below. But Jack Canfield, thank you so much for your time. I acknowledge everything that you're doing in the world. Thank you once again. Probably not enough, but still thank you anyway for coming on the Storybox podcast today. My, my pleasure, Jay. Good luck with your life and uh, all the things you want to do as well. You're, you have a long life ahead of you. you, to, you I, I'm so excited for you. It's going to be great. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know.
I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 